Welcome here, everyone. How's everyone doing? Yeah? I don't know if I said that before when I came up, so you're fine. And Daryl's like, fine. <laughs> He's great. It's his 40th wedding anniversary. Are you kidding me? He's phenomenal. Let me just, just say it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to like make a spectacle of Daryl. I'm really not. You know, we, should, we want to celebrate in our midst faithfulness when it comes to marriage and commitment to one another. And 40 years is awesome. And so, you know, as someone who I'm like, we're coming up to 19 right away, and I'm thinking, like, that's a big number. And then I'm like, I hear that, and I'm like, <laughs> wow. So, like, more than double. But still, like, Daryl is super young at heart. Welcome here. Um, I, I just want a couple notes um, before I get into the, the message for today. Um, some of you may have heard about the new restrictions that were announced. Uh, I can't remember what day it was. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and so I know there were some people already asking us, like, what are we going to do? This whole thing with um, different numbers based on proof of vaccination that the province has rolled out. Um, it's because of the, uh, the amount of people that we actually can have in this building and our allowance. It really isn't going to be, be an impact for us. However... Uh, just to be clear, in case anyone's wondering, we're never going to require proof of vaccination, ever. So, um, whatever, you know, the province feels they have to do is fine, and we'll do whatever we feel like we have to do and be obedient to the Lord in that. But this is something that we've seen coming on the horizon as, as leadership, and we've said, no, this is not a road that we're, we're walking down. So, uh, because we feel that it's antithetical to the gospel, that that somehow you'd say these people are welcome, but these people aren't. So, you know, that's, there's lines, right? And that's, that's a line for us. So just, just want to be really clear on that, uh, where we're at as a church. Um, also, I don't know if, I wasn't remembering, if there, did we announce sermon notes for the youth, Jess? Um, if, if you want sermon notes, there might even be some leftovers. If you want them as adults, I, I actually think they're pretty good. So if you like, if you would benefit from sermon notes, I think we have some on the back table. Um, and they're for youth and, and whoever, really. So, All right. So, so two weeks ago, we, uh, we had the introduction to this series. Um, and, and now we're sort of ready to, to dig into the Beatitudes, if you will. And, and the connection that I want to make from the intro that we did two weeks ago to this series, the, kind of the, the one main thought that we would keep before us, if you will, is that Jesus... When he comes on the scene, he is announcing the arrival of God's kingdom breaking into this earth. And that, that announcement, like nothing will ever be the same. And we are invited. Jesus invites us to embrace this good news that he's bringing and the radical transformation that will follow. And I absolutely believe, based on what scripture says, that embracing the good news of Jesus is the way to radical transformation. And so, you know, even when we talk about John 3.16 and, and whoever believes in Jesus, it's not just, following Jesus is not just a set of beliefs, right? It's not just about, okay, I believe that, now I'm good, I'm saved. No, no. We are saved as we follow the way of Jesus. There is a command and an invitation to follow it's not a belief system that we 
uh, attain to or believe. So, what we talked about two weeks ago, and, and this really is sort of the framework for Jesus coming, right, and announcing the kingdom, is lives that are marked by repentance, lives that are marked by a desire to follow Jesus' way, and lives that are marked receiving Jesus' healing in our lives, recognizing that we all need healing, which is, you know, one reason why EHS, the course, is such a great thing to run alongside the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes really correlates well to this receiving healing in our lives and, and the way that we walk as followers of Jesus. And so we've titled this series The Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, the subtitle is Jesus' Way to Subvert or to Overthrow the World's Way. And so today we've come to this first beatitude, and, uh, and I've titled it uh, a little bit different, but I've titled it Blessed Are the Destitute. And I want to read, we're going to dig in, we're just going to read three verses here this morning, so if you want to turn, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me as well, but Matthew 5 is where you find the beginning of the beatitudes that Matthew records. Matthew 5 verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going we're gonna to stop there. So we're just going to unpack this this morning. A couple, couple things to highlight here. Jesus is not speaking to the crowds. He's actually speaking to his disciples. He went up on a mountainside and began to teach his disciples, those who had chosen and were choosing to follow his way. Matthew notes there, he says that Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down, and began to teach. And I, and I, wonder, I'm, I wonder if Matthew is intentionally pointing to and speaking to the authority of Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And, and, it, and Matthew is, is alerting us. This is who is speaking. I think, I think he might be doing that. It's interesting, too, that he talks about mountains here, the mountainside. Because mountains have a really prominent place in Matthew's gospel. We have the mountain of temptation in, in Matthew 4. We have the mountain of the Sermon on the Mount here. We have the mountain of transfiguration in Matthew 17. And we have the mountain of farewell in Matthew 28. So there's this thing where um, mountains are sort of peaks, if you will, all along Matthew's gospel. And, and one, I think, possible reason, probably the strongest likely reason, is that Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience with his gospel. And he's making a very clear point kind of throughout his gospel. Jesus is Moses 2.0. Now, he's not just an improved version, though, of Moses, right? He is a complete replacement. It's like Moses has been replaced by Jesus. Jesus, as he said, I came to fulfill the law of Moses, and he came to show us the Father, John Stott, he, when, um, he comments on this. He says, we have a new law for a new people given on a new mountain by a new Moses. That is the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we get to these blessed 
uh, qualities, announcements that Jesus makes. And, and I know I, I talked, I touched on this a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago, but I want to just kind of bring us back again to remind us, because it's so important to frame the Beatitudes of this, of how we understand the word blessed. Because, um, you know, we can, our, our uh, one interpretation can be in alignment with God's ways. That's one interpretation for this word with God's kingdoms, that, and, and the Beatitudes are qualities, if you will, that are revealing that we are becoming kingdomized people. I don't know if kingdomized is a word, but it's a, it's a good way for, to phrase it for us, that we are becoming the people of God's kingdom. And so the word for blessed, which is the Greek word makarios, you know, a lot of times in, in some translations, I think, have even interpreted it happy. Happy are you, happy. And, and it can mean that. That's, that's one meaning of the word. But makarios is a very deep word that doesn't just mean happy. It's, it's, um, and given how we misunderstand happiness in our culture, I mean, even the definition of happy is based on happenings, right? You're, it's based on what's happening to you. And so if something good is happening to you, you're happy. That's how we interpret happy in our culture. And so it's really about... Happiness is defined by how we feel, which is really problematic because actually the Beatitudes aren't even about how you feel. The Beatitudes are about how God sees you. It's not based on us. So we need to grasp the depth of this word though, makarios. What does Jesus mean by this? So can mean, like I said, it can mean in alignment um, which again, you know, we, you know, when like when a vehicle is a really good example, when a vehicle's not in alignment, even a little bit, you you know it. When a vehicle's not in alignment, you can feel it. It's got that it actually wears certain parts of a vehicle. You know when you're not in alignment. But it, the word isn't just that. It also conveys the meaning of extreme fortune or even congratulations. Congratulations that you are the poor in spirit. But, see, that can be misleading too because when we hear congratulations, we think of that we've achieved something. When someone says congrats to you, there's sort of the behind it going, hey, congrats, you achieved something. We didn't achieve this. So another way to understand it might be right on. And I think this is a ne- another neat way to understand the word. Where God's giving us his right on. Right on. You're the Poor in spirit. Jess, she, she may not, I don't even know if I mentioned this to her, but she, she really blessed me a couple weeks back, actually. We had, just, we had had a leadership meeting as couples, and quite unexpectedly that night, late that night, Jess spoke something to me that was so affirming and so encouraging. I'll actually, I'll keep the specifics to myself. Like, it's not, it's not actually important. It, it was something that was the soul, what she spoke to me, I almost felt it was being spoke over me, was so precious, but the essence of it made me feel like I had received just this huge right on. Like where it was just like her word, her words to me were like, in my spirit, it was like, right on. And I was like, in the midst of what's been a very difficult season for me, it was like, right on. So, I think that's part of the heart behind what Jesus is speaking over us. He's giving us here right 
on qualities that can make us feel, though, these qualities that we read, when we go through the Beatitudes, they can make us feel really vulnerable at times. Like there's vulnerability in living, not just hearing, but living out the Beatitudes. Daryl Johnson, he notes that he likes the phrase uh, for blessed, you lucky bums. <laughs> when, when he, so you lucky bums that you are poor in spirit. Now, you, say, you might go, really? I trust Daryl Johnson as a really great commentator, and so I appreciate that. But he, he says that, but then he, he goes on to say, and he says, I think, though, he says that the word synchronized might be the very best interpretation over all these that we can apply to blessed. So when we are blessed are the poor in spirit, in sync with the kingdom of God, are the poor in spirit. And so, the crucial thing in all this is that we're living in sync with the kingdom of God, the reign of God. But the crucial thing to grasp about Makarios, blessed, is that it's not about how we feel. It's not about if we've achieved something or anything like that. It's how God views us as living in sync with the kingdom of God. It's not about how I feel. So, as we come to the first beatitude here, blessed are the poor in spirit, I want to just answer three questions this morning that I think will help, help us grasp the depth of what Jesus is teaching here. First question is, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Like we, what does that mean? We hear that, but what does that mean? So we'll dig into that. Two, why does Jesus begin the Beatitudes with the poor in spirit? And three, how do we know if we are embracing being poor in spirit? How, how would you know that? So first question, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? There's two words for poor in the Greek New Testament. The first one, penes, speaks of people who have to work all the time because they don't own any property. So they're poor in a sense. The second word, patochos, speak of those who are so destitute that they have to beg from others. It's those who live in extreme poverty and they know it. Do you want to guess which word Jesus uses here for poor? Want to guess? It is. It's the second one. Absolute poverty, patochos. Jesus says, blessed, in sync with my kingdom, are the destitute and those who come with nothing. Empty hands, empty pockets, those who see themselves and come to Jesus in desperate need. And, and so, what Jesus is saying here too is that this posture is evidence when we come like that, when we are living with that posture in the times in our lives when we are coming and living with that view of ourselves, it's a sign that the kingdom of God has broken through and is breaking through into our lives and that we're in sync with the way of Jesus. So Luke's gospel in chapter 6, he has a slightly different version of the Beatitudes. Um, you know, the, the guess from, from theologians and commentators that Jesus probably likely preached these things a lot 
throughout his ministry that these were kind of like, he had a lot of things that he kept kind of hitting on, if you will. And so uh, there's probably a lot of different uh, sermons, if you will, messages for them to draw on. And Luke, um, so he, he either lists, you know, a slightly different version of the Beatitudes or a different message that Jesus preached. But the point is that when Luke says poor, he leaves out spirit. So he just says, blessed are the poor. And so then it raises the question, is Matthew's gospel the more spiritual version of this? And is Luke's the more social gospel, if you will? And then you get to go, like, is there conflict here? And I, I don't think so, but it's important that we draw this out because in scripture, there's lots of care spoken about widows, orphans, refugees, the destitute, there's a lot spoken about them. But nowhere in Scripture will you find that material poverty is esteemed as the ideal human condition or that being poor materially is evidence of spiritual health. In fact, when we've gone downtown and we've ministered to the poor um, in, in the core of Winnipeg, I mean, you'll meet people who are very materially poor. And yet through interactions with some of them, you go, you realize they're not poor in spirit necessarily. They're not necessarily coming to God with a poor in spirit mentality, even though they are very, very materially poor. You encounter the sin of pride regardless of wealth and regardless of affluence. So what is Jesus getting at when he speaks of those who are being poor as being in sync with his kingdom? It's it seems that he's speaking to an inner posture that admits our state of dependence. In his Beatitudes, in fact, just, just a few verses after, Luke records Jesus warning the rich about the trap of perceived comfort. And, you know, since we are relatively, all of us here, we are relatively all rich, like we are in the top 1% of the world that should grab our attention. That should like shake us, what Jesus is saying there. But wherever we find ourselves materially, this is about the posture that we embrace in our spirit. Do we come to God understanding the depths of our helplessness or are we being deceived by the illusion of this world and our temporary material status? Is that propping us up in a state of illusion? Because it's really about embracing weakness and not numbing, burying it, or ignoring its existence in our lives. It's saying, it's recognizing we all have weakness. And either we pursue God through it, or we experience immeasurable loss as we try to avoid or deny weakness in our lives. So before Jesus came announcing his kingdom manifesto, before he came on announcing the good news of the kingdom, do you remember what happened in Matthew 4? He was led by the Spirit where? Into the desert. And what happened in the desert after 40 days? What happened? Who Satan came and he began to tempt Jesus. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days fasting, praying and fasting. And Satan is deceptive and manipulative as he comes to Jesus and he subtly plays to the desires of Jesus' heart. He, go, he starts first, he tries to raise doubts about his identity. 
He starts to, he's, the second thing is he starts to have Jesus question the father's care and protection, right? With the throwing, throwing down. If, if, you know, if you throw your, just throw yourself down from the temple, you know? Like, like, will your father send his angels to come and protect you? Will he really? And then he's, the third thing he tries to come at Jesus with is he tries to tempt him with fame and affluence, notoriety without suffering. You don't have to do the suffering part, Jesus. All you have to do, he says, is bow down right now to me. Bow down to me. I'll give you everything. Satan goes right at Jesus' vulnerability to try and exploit his weaknesses. The strategy first appeared in the Garden of Eden, and it continues to this day. It's the same ploy that Satan makes. And it's these three things that we all face. The temptation to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life. All three that are not only embraced now or tolerated, they're celebrated in our world. Like absolutely held up as the ideal to pursue. Go for it. Whatever you want. These are the three lies that Satan will bring to us. Whatever you want, satisfy yourself. Whatever you desire to have, go get it. Whatever you can do to make more of yourself, whatever, do it. The core, these are the core temptations, the absolute core that will tell us to do whatever we need to do to avoid weakness. Do not embrace weakness. Do not embrace something that will make you appear less than with others. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. And this is, I believe, one of the points that Matthew does in his gospel as the Holy Spirit led him. Before Jesus revealed the way of his kingdom, that it's the exact opposite. So before he revealed that his kingdom is the exact opposite of this world, he lived it in the desert. He went through it. How did Jesus embrace his weakness and pursue God through it? That's really the question that, that is so important for us. How did Jesus do that? Look at what he's doing in the desert. He's in silence and solitude. He's getting alone with God. He's in prayer. He's fasting. And his mind is soaked and immersed in the word of God. Every time Satan comes at him, what does he do? He quotes scripture. Scripture is he's immersed in the word of God. I think many of us, we can look at that experience that Jesus had in the desert with Satan. And we believe that Satan came to Jesus after 40 days and because he did so because he was so vulnerable in his physical state. Like 40 days of not eating and fasting. You go, Jesus is just weak and vulnerable and ripe to be exploited. Yeah, that's part of it. But that's, think of it another way. Jesus was at the height of his ability to receive God's power in his weakness because he had been 40 days with the Father. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was 40 days immersed with the Father. You go, yeah, he was physically weak, but he was completely ready to take on Satan because he had immersed himself with the Father. His weakness actually welcomed God's power, as 
The Apostle Paul would say as well. This is what John Mark Colmer says about this. He says, spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare. Man, I love that. It's through the practices of Jesus that we present our minds and bodies before God and open our souls to his spirit and truth. This is Jesus' way to overthrow the way of the world. A radically different way. So how does Satan come and try to tempt us or the world? You can say the world, but slash Satan. How does the world come and try to tempt us to oppose Jesus' way when it comes to being poor in spirit? Exalt yourself. Hide your weakness. Mask your own insecurity by tearing others down. Protect your image at all costs. Do you know how Satan does this so subtly in the church? He gets people to avoid their weaknesses with a very simple strategy. Find reasons to blame others. And unless we're doing the adequate heart work, we may not even realize the extent to which we are engaging in this. It feels like second nature to put the blame on others. And here's the thing. Folks, you can always find reason to blame others. You know why? Because everyone else around you is human and has weaknesses. So you're like, that's proof. I found the weakness in them. Yeah, you did. Why do you think Jesus goes so hard after judging later on the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you, you're going to judge? Have you looked at yourself? That is the deception of Satan that he gets at right in the church. Just avoid weakness. Just look at blaming others. But Jesus' way is an invitation to admit and assess our depth of brokenness, how destitute we are, because that is the place where healing and transformation can begin. Admitting that we're poor in spirit invites us, invites you into the very place where God is at work. This is one of the aspects of the EHS course in that it helps us to process and learn skills to embrace weakness so that we can receive healing. And it's powerful because at the core of this is the transforming power of Jesus' work that liberates you from bondage. That's incredible news. All right, second question. So if the first question is, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I would say embracing weaknesses and helplessness. Coming to Jesus saying, I'm totally destitute. Second, why does Jesus begin the Beatitudes with the poor in spirit, right? Like, why didn't Jesus begin with affirming the pure in heart? Like, the pure in heart, look at, look at them, look at, or those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Why does he begin there? I think it's because it's the realization of being destitute that marks the starting point for disciples of Jesus. We cannot sidestep this posture. Well, okay, you can. You actually can sidestep this, but it puts you completely out of sync 
with the kingdom of God, if we're going to walk in sync with the kingdom of God and these qualities, it begins with a posture of being poor in spirit. I want to I remind us of something I mentioned two weeks ago, and because again, this is again so key for how we approach and respond to the Beatitudes, so key. This is not about having to meet a certain criteria or level uh, in order to be called blessed. To, to, uh, having to attain to a certain level where then you are now living in sync with Jesus' kingdom. If we look at it like that, an achievement-based model, we've missed it. Because it's not that we are called blessed we can't, because we have all these qualities and therefore have been found worthy. Rather, it's the good news of the gospel taking hold in our lives. And because of that, we are becoming the blessed people. It's in our response to Jesus, embracing his kingdom in our lives, that we are becoming the beatitude people. That you're becoming that. These qualities that make up these, the kingdomized beatitude people, if you will, they're not natural human qualities. Like, do you just go through the beatitudes and tell me that you think these are natural human qualities. They're not. They're, they're, I think we all know this. Our flesh, meaning our natural inclination, our natural human inclination is to oppose these qualities at every turn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Are you kidding me? No, no, my human, my, my human inclination, the flesh will go, I don't want any of that. I don't want any part of that. And that's the point. You actually do not have the ability in your own strength, your own willpower or effort to produce this in yourself. Rather, it's as we come as broken and destitute people to Jesus with a desire, Jesus, I want to submit to your rule. Jesus, I want to submit to your reign. I want to surrender to your way that these qualities begin to appear in us as a result of the healing and the transformation that's happening in our lives. So this is what is meant when we speak about becoming kingdomized people qualities that make up the Beatitudes are, are not, they're not a list where you're going to be like, cool, I'm going to major in a couple of these. Like these two qualities, I think I'm pretty good at. Uh, the other six, yeah, I don't know. They're not for me. You know, like I'd rather, you know what, like Joe over there, he has a couple of those. And, you know, Sally over there, she's got two of those. I've got these two. That, that's not what it is. All these qualities Jesus is speaking of are interrelated qualities that are all being produced and coming in the Beatitude people as a result of surrendering to Jesus. And so, you know, again, this is where we don't try and prove that we are destitute and therefore are accepted. Which, because you know what that would do if that was the case? That would only serve to foster pride in you. You'd be like, ha, I've become destitute. And you're like, that's pride. Oh. Yep, that's pride. 
the point is that when the kingdom of God is advancing, meaning when it's present and active in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, it transforms our wills, our emotions, and our motivations. We are becoming more like Jesus. And so this begins with being poor in spirit, recognizing and embracing, man, I've got a deep need for Jesus, like really deep need for Jesus, and admitting the state of my deep brokenness. Admitting that I I don't want to cover up, I don't want to mask over my deep need with any of the markers that the world would point to as proof that Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And that I've somehow I've, I've achieved self-reliance, which is just such a temptation, right? This push to like, I've got it all together. I've achieved self-reliance. I'm good. No, that's not being poor in spirit. One thing that really strikes me about the Gospels, I, I, I thought of, I just had this thought come into my mind this week and then, I, and then I started to just think about it and unpack it a bit more and think about through the Gospels. But one that strikes me about the Gospels is that Jesus did not try and sell or push the Gospel to people. You realize that? Like, he did not come as a salesman. He didn't, he didn't come uh, and try to pressure, high pressure people or, guilt, or even guilt rid people into receiving the Gospel. He didn't. In fact, all he did was come announcing his kingdom, his gospel, and he doesn't even preach to every person he heals. Like you'd think it's like, boom, he'd heal this person. Okay, now I'm going to like, now I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Boom, heal you. Now I'm gonna... No, he doesn't. He actually doesn't do that. He heals and then he allows people to respond and in fact, you go, when you see this, and, and you'll see it all throughout the Gospels, like it's everywhere. Those who think they have it all together and can earn or perform their way into the kingdom, those are the people that Jesus finds the most offensive. Or sorry, the ones that find Jesus the most offensive, I should say. Those are the ones, the ones who think that they've got it together, the ones like, no, no, I can earn my way. Those are the ones who have the real problem with Jesus. We see Jesus invite, but he allows people to come to that place where they recognize their need for him and they respond. He's not pressuring them. All right, so we've looked at how do we we define the poor in spirit? Why does Jesus begin with talking about being poor in spirit? Third is, how do we know if we're embracing being poor in spirits. And, and first, you know, I would say, well, we have to look to the words of Scripture and we have to look to the way of Jesus. Think of, think of Peter. Jen mentioned Peter this morning getting out of the boat. When Jesus announces at one point to his disciples that he is going to be going to the cross and embracing the way of suffering and he reveals it to his disciples, remember what happens? Peter rebukes Jesus and says, no, 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 no. This, that's not the way it's going to go, Jesus. Like, that's, that's not the way. And Jesus, you know, he sees that Peter is looking 
to his own resources. He's looking to his own earthly perspective. He's counting that he'll be able to make this happen. And Jesus turns around and he rebukes Peter for following his own ways as you are thinking in the ways of man and not in the things of God. You're not following my way. The point of that is, Jesus is trying to get through to Peter is, my way is one of submission, my way is one of surrender, and my way is one of sacrificial love. That's really the extent of the Christian life. Are we becoming more like Jesus? Or are we finding ourselves being more like Peter than we want to admit? Is the aim of my life set on becoming more like Jesus? Submission, surrender, sacrificial love. Embracing his way and not my way. I I think this is one of the greatest opportunities right now. This moment in time that we find ourselves in, that we're experiencing right now. And all the stuff that's going on. These days have great opportunity to reveal the state of our hearts. What's going on in here? These are great days that have great potential to reveal to us where we're being led by our flesh and not by the Spirit. And it's God's mercy that he's allowing us to see this and go, don't be led that way. Don't follow the way of the flesh. Don't follow all the ways that the flesh manifests itself. Follow my spirit. I I have found these last 18 months, uh, like many of us, extremely challenging and difficult. Extremely. But a deep conviction that I have from the Lord, a deep conviction. And I I was, uh, yeah, I wasn't going to, ah, I was sharing this. We were sharing, Dallas Hebert and I were sharing together this week. We had lunch and we were sharing this. And I was so encouraged. When you come alongside other leaders and there's similar convictions that they're feeling. But I, this conviction, this deep conviction that I have, I believe that it's from the Lord, this conviction is from the Lord, that this season is one of incredible opportunity for growth for followers of Jesus. That this is not, that that this season has been allowed, brought about by the Lord to strengthen actually his church by looking. This is what's in your heart, guys. Don't be led by that. And the thing is, I think many are missing it. Many, many in the church are missing it due to distraction and being led more by the spirit or by the flesh than by the Spirit. And that, that grieves me. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, are really about our hearts and our core motivations. What is driving my actions and choices? This is why Jesus, he goes far beyond addressing actions and behavior, right? He goes, he goes right to the heart in the, in the Sermon on the Mount of what is happening inside of you? Not what you might appear like externally. He doesn't, he's saying that, that yeah, that's, that's one thing. But what's going on in your heart? Because he's getting at, 
do you see, have an understanding, a recognition of your true state? So he goes to think about lust. If lust is a problem for me, but I haven't committed adultery with another woman, then I can appear to be okay. On the external, yeah, I'm okay, I'm good. But Jesus gets to the core issue. He says, if you even look at another woman in, with lustful intent, you're in the same space as the person who's committed adultery. What? Take anger. We can all agree that murder is horrific, right? Proof of anger fully manifested, brought to its conclusion in a horrible, horrific way that you take another life. But there's a lot that get before that, before you get to murder, there's a whole lot before that that is just as horrific. And Jesus says, he says, even if you speak with contempt and ridicule towards someone, he says, you're in the same place of judgment as the person who's a murderer. What? Like, I think we should read those words and and there's an aspect of it that should go, ouch. Really? Seriously, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on in your heart? It's about the heart, not just about actions. And the reason is because we are inclined to hide and make excuses. It's part of the DNA of sin that's imprinted on us. All of us deal with it. As long as I don't do this, as long as I don't do that, I'm okay. And Jesus, he confronts that deception. He invites us to realize the state of our hearts and our brokenness. And he does it, he says, so you can embrace my way. Jesus is being really clear. It's about actions, yes, but it's not just about actions. Because if it's just about that, that can hide our hearts and keep us from admitting need. That's, that's why I believe that we can embrace this season as a profound opportunity to be embrace being poor in spirit. Where we, we're inviting Jesus to say, okay, Jesus, you know what? I want to come to you in my helplessness as a destitute person, and I want to ask you that you would reveal the state of my heart. What's going on in my heart What's driving my attitudes, my behavior, my motivation? What's driving my will? And so that we come and we do that, walking through the process of healing with him so that we may be transformed as we live in the way of Jesus. Jesus says something really interesting in John 15. He says that his presence actually exposes sin in us. It's a little thing, John 15, 22. So he says, my presence actually exposes sin. You know, which is actually, like you go, really? It's actually really encouraging. You know why? Because he doesn't leave us without hope. He doesn't say that and then go, oh. (laughs) He gives us hope. Jesus invites us to receive his healing. Maybe you're with me. I I identify with Peter, who at one point he fell down before Jesus. This is before he tried to rebuke Jesus for going the way of the cross. 
Before that, at one point, Peter fell down and he cried out to Jesus to leave him alone because he realized how sinful he was. Just leave me, Jesus. I, I, I can't deal with this. Like there, was like there was a moment where Peter saw his sin and he's like, woe is me. And yet, and this is where I identify with Peter, yet he tried to go his own way at times. Perhaps you feel the same. Because maybe you're like me where you read the Beatitudes, you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you realize like, man, I fall utterly short of this. How can I ever hope to make it? Are you like that sometimes? Where you're like, I don't know if I have hope that I could make this. Like this is, this is really, how can I ever live this? It begins with where you see how destitute you are in your need for Jesus. And it's the place to be. So I want to I just conclude with this. Because I think this is an important aspect of this too. Why would you listen to Jesus' words? Why? why? Why would you place such an importance on these words that we've looked at this morning and put them at the center of your life when you have hundreds of other voices vying for your affection and attention and your heart. Why would you listen? And I would say this, I thought about this, and I would say simply because Jesus died and rose again to new life. The resurrection of Jesus is a game changer. If it didn't happen, then you might as well just pick and choose what you want from Jesus. Flip through here, highlight, uh, stroke out stuff you don't like. Ah, I don't like that. Take whatever you want, add it to whatever else you like in your life. Create your own kind of belief system, what you want to follow, what makes you feel good. Live it up because it doesn't matter if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Create a custom set of values you might as well, that makes you feel accepted, successful, and as rich as possible. Do it. But if Jesus defeated the power of death, if Jesus rose to new life, then everything that he said is of the utmost importance. Everything that we have in here is so vitally important. It's not kind of important. It's vitally important. It's a matter of life and death. That's what Jesus says. It's life, both in the here and now, or it's death, both here in the now and in the age to come. But see, we hear poor in spirit, we hear destitute, we hear brokenness, and we're inclined to run. We're like, why, why would I ever surrender to Jesus' way? And I would say because the promise of this way that Jesus says is that we get the kingdom. Don't forget the last part. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of it. Like everything that God has promised is ours to come. Forgiveness of sin Deep cleansing, freedom, wisdom, power, hope, truth, community, fullness, gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of it. He says it's all yours. 
All of it. So I want to invite you this morning, I want to invite us to put our faith in Jesus. Choose allegiance to his way. Say, I am, my allegiance is to the way of Jesus. I'm committing to live in alignment with his way, not my way. This is why the Beatitudes begin with speaking about the poor in spirit. Because we admit that we are at the place of being destitute. So I want to I pray. After I pray, I want to give us a few questions for application if you want to take it away to help you this week. But let's, let's pray and let's invite Jesus. Jesus, I thank you. I'm so thankful for the Beatitudes that you've given us. I'm so thankful that you, this aligns with our hearts because we know, Lord, we know how broken and how destitute we are when we allow ourselves to feel. We feel the fractures of sin inside of us. And yet, you Invite us and you say, come. When you feel this, when you admit this, when you admit your need and how destitute and how helpless you are, you're in sync with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you you promise that when we come and we align ourselves with you, that the promise is the kingdom. Jesus, we accept your way. Lord, we invite you to have your way in us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to have allegiance, to commit, to follow your way. Jesus, you say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we believe that thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in us and through us. Jesus, help us through difficult circumstances where we feel so destitute, so broken. Thank you that you meet us right in that place. And you say, I'm here. I'm here. Jesus, we are so in awe of you and we love you. We thank you right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? And I pray you'd manifest your presence right here, right now, in our midst. And Jesus, we pray this in your incredible, mighty, everlasting name. The only name. Name above all names.